Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starlight Beacon, the Star Wars High Republic podcast, where we cover all things related to the Star Wars High Republic publishing and media initiative. Welcome back, and my name is Gary, and I am joined by Brian. Hello. Hello, Brian. How are you today? Outstanding. Super excited to talk about the books. Awesome. And that is what we're going to be doing today. Um, we're going to be talking about Light of the Jedi, the very first book in the Star Wars High Republic. Um, before we jump into that, I want to say thank you to everybody who supported us online on our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are now live, and listen to our first episode. Um, as in most first episodes, we had some, uh, you know, rough technical difficulties, but uh, a lot of people reached out, so they were really, really happy with what they heard. They were excited that there's a, a podcast strictly dedicated to the High Republic. Because um, it seems like, uh, I don't know about you, Brian, but I've seen a lot of people online who are just super stoked about this whole this whole thing. Oh, yeah. And I know we're going to get into it in the news, but there's plenty of, of recognition that it's getting, and, and uh, it's obviously worth the attention. Absolutely. So without further ado, because we do have a ton to cover today, um, let's get into some news. So when we first recorded our first episode, it was right before the the first line. I said first a bunch of times right there. The uh, first couple books had launched on January 5th. On January 4th, there was a author event. So all the uh, kind of the big five authors, I think it's, yeah, five authors from um, the who are kind of spearheading the High Republic. Uh, did an online event where they announced a bunch more titles coming in the summertime, some that we knew uh, and then some that we had no idea were coming out um, and then some that got actual official like titles and covers. So go through those real quick um, and then we'll kind of comment on, on what we're excited for. So coming this July, um, Justina Ireland is writing uh, her second book in the High Republic called Out of the Shadows, um, which is kind of exciting. And that comes out right after the uh, second uh, uh, adult level book, Into the Storm. So kind of a, that out into the storm, out of the shadows. I thought that was a good, good dichotomy there. We have the um, second, uh, I think um, it's like the young reader, uh, Race to Crash Point Tower, um, which should be pretty exciting. And then we have uh, a full graphic novel. So separate from a comic book, right? We have our Marvel comics and we have our IDW comics, but just a standalone graphic novel written by, uh, I think it's Kevin Scott who's taking that one, and that's The Monster of Temple Peak. And then we have what I'm kind of most excited for from this announcement is a manga. And I've never been a huge manga fan, but this, this is really appealing because it seems like a, a really different than what they've done with some Star Wars books. And that's The Edge of Balance, which is being written by Justina Ireland and Shima Shinya. Um, so those are the new titles that they announced during the author's event uh, Brian, anything else notable that you thought uh, was a good takeaway from that event? Uh, um, man, other, I mean, just continuing to show the way that they're working together on all these titles and, and spearheading and, and cheering one another on. And the idea that they're, you know, after announcing the first wave uh, and, and they talked about, uh, which I, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to as well, they talked about their sort of three phases of the first, you know, three phases of the High Republic. And we're only in like wave one of the first phase. Uh, so uh, the fact that there were things that we had no idea were even down the line. I mean, we knew there would be second, a second wave of books. You know, we knew there'd be another adult, young adult. But the the standalone graphic novel and the manga for sure 
were complete surprises. Didn't know they were coming at all. Didn't know who was uh, attached to them. And the um, the manga that you talked about is uh, by a very uh, reputable manga you know company. Viz Media uh, is is well known for the manga that they put out. So. Um, just like everything we've come to expect with Star Wars, it's all high quality, good stuff, and and lots of surprises down the line. I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that's that's what's most exciting too is we didn't really know it before this event what the scope of the High Republic was. It just going to be maybe a dozen books and comics. Was it going to be a twenty twenty one thing? Um, it looks like we're in for High Republic media. Uh, for the next couple of years, if not the better part of the next, you know, half decade to a decade, which uh, uh, that sounds amazing to me. Um, and there's a lot of time frame that they can cover, right? Because uh, Light of the Jedi that we're going to discuss today is uh, approximately 200, 250 years before Phantom Menace. So you have a whole time frame that's going to be covered over the next couple of years. So pretty neat there. Um, talking about the the collaboration between the authors uh, nothing major, but if, if you guys have Disney Plus, which um, if you're listening to a Star Wars podcast about a very specific book and comic book series, I'm sure you have Disney Plus. Um, this week, uh, this past Friday, they released uh, the newest episode of the Disney Gallery special. It's a, kind of their one of their shows that shows you behind the scenes of the parks or the movies or the cartoons or whatever they do. It's little segments about that, which I always find fascinating and I usually watch it. Um, but this week they had about a 10-minute segment on the authors of High Republic, and they kind of gave an introduction of what the High Republic was from Project Luminous all the way through the uh, announcement event that we got around a year ago this time. So that's really cool, really worth a watch, and um, fun to see how the authors all interact with each other and the creative process and just how incredibly excited they all were um, to work on this project. I, I think the, the star of it to me is Justina Ireland, who I didn't know much about. Um, I've read some of her work, but she was just like ecstatic to be a part of this project. And she really comes across as, as someone I, I totally want to hang out with. So recommend that if you haven't got a chance at the Star Wars gallery show on Disney Plus. It's it's a half hour episode. They talk about um, Muppets in the episode as well. And they also talk about uh, something in the theme parks. I don't remember what it was, but um, right sandwiched in the middle of those two stories is, is something about the higher public. And it's fun to watch. And then um, just some more High Republic news. I feel like we guys got uh, smashed with it over the past couple of weeks. It was just like in your face. You couldn't escape High Republic if you're into Star Wars. Um, we uh, we got some cool vari uh, variant printings of the books. So if you follow us online, you saw that I got the out of print, which is the name of the, the, the company and website. It's not an out of print book, but it might be at this time. Um, version of Light of the Jedi, which has a really awesome variant cover, um, is signed by Charles Soule, and then also got a cool pin and pair of socks. So I was excited for that. Yeah, and I just want to chip in since you're talking about a, since you're talking about uh, out of print, out of print's a really cool uh, company if you're a book lover, um, and essentially a lot of their, their uh, merchandise that they sell there, like the shirts and stuff like that, are are the covers of vintage classic books or whatever. Um, but sort of maybe a surprise to a lot of people is they have this whole Star Wars line of stuff there. Um, so for me, I'm an English teacher, soon to be a li uh, school librarian. I'm actually 
wearing one of their shirts right now, and it says, it's got a picture of uh, Chewbacca and Han Solo next to each other, armed as usual, and it says, read, don't upset the Wookiee. Um, they've got a great one that's got Leia, and it says, read, it's our only hope. Um, and uh, so it's all reading-centric kind of Star Wars stuff. Um, they also have uh, T-shirts of some of the uh, original uh, movie posters from the original trilogy, and they have um, shirts of some of the early Timothy Zahn uh, books as well uh, from the Legends books. As, so uh, got to love a, a reading-centric kind of company because I love reading, uh, but especially when they're promoting Star Wars. It definitely flies right in with what we're doing, so I had to give them a little plug there. Awesome. Yeah, I was uh, eagerly anticipating my special edition Light of the Jedi. Now I have two copies of Light of the Jedi, and my wife was like, why do you need two copies of the same book? I said, because look at this really cool cover, and it's signed by the author. That, that's just who I am. I like If something says special edition or limited edition on it, I'll probably just buy it because I'm like, well, it's limited. Of course I have to get it. Um, and to that point, there's actually a signed copy of a Test of Courage by Justina Ireland that's available on her personal website. Um, not a variant cover or anything, just the normal version, but signed by her. And I've been tossing back and forth buying it. I have the hardcover version of A Test of Courage, but it's signed by the author. So that's pretty cool. Um, I might still buy that. Let's see how the rest of the day goes. Um, so then I'll have two copies and, uh, peek behind the curtain. Brian and I have been talking about doing something with a giveaway of a, a book or something like that down the road. So you might see yourself in possession of one of my copies of Test of Courage if I do end up buying that signed one eventually. So that's exciting. Um, on Test of Courage, both Test of Courage and Light of the Jedi um, ended up on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, and not just ended up there, Light of the Jedi was number one the week of its release, which is like the coolest thing. Like, I don't remember, I'm sure it's happened, right? But I don't remember the last time a Star Wars book was number one on the New York Times bestseller. Um, so that's really exciting. And Tessa Courage was number two. So awesome. And congratulations to Charles Soule and Justina Ireland for those two awesome accomplishments. Definitely feel like we are in the middle of something legendary in the Star Wars universe and that the Ewoks are having a barbecue in celebration right now. Uh, so it's probably good we're here. Otherwise, we might be on the menu. But Yeah, for sure. Um, two other pieces of news, and then we'll just talk about kind of the, the crazy whirlwind High Republic two weeks we've had. Um, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be tied to High Republic, but I have a, a feeling that it is, and that is that Star Wars and Lucasfilm announced um, kind of a new a new era for their video game division. So just quick backstory. Um, a lot of us grew up playing LucasArts video games, which were created um, by Lucasfilm Studios. And there were some great games there. A lot of the Star Wars games of the 90s and early 2000s were by LucasArts. They had a lot of great Indiana Jones games. Um, a lot of people love like the Monkey Island games that they created. So LucasArts was a, a really uh, groundbreaking, groundbreaking uh, video game manufacturer. Um, and then kind of, uh, EA got the license to Star Wars video games. Um, I'm a big star, I'm a big video game person. And, uh, I've found that their games are kind of hit or miss that they've done recently. Um, I, I love Fallen Order. Um, I liked Battlefront 2, wasn't crazy about Battlefront 1. And 
Um, Squadrons was fine. I, I played through it, and I don't know if I'm going to have a lot of replay value on it. But with that being said, I know that they've had some controversy with EA about, uh, especially when Battlefront 2 came out, you might remember there was controversy about um, grinding the game and, and microtransactions in the game, which I'm not here for. Uh, I don't know about you, Brian, but if I pay $60 for a game, I want a full $60 version of a game. I do not want to have to pay more for anything else in that game unless it's like post-release DLC or something like that. Maybe I'll shell out for. But um, I'm I'm a little happy to announce that they're actually going to be going back to what they're calling Lucasfilm. I think it's Lucasfilm Studios is now going to be um, handling some video games. They were not necessarily clear if they're still going to be working with EA. I don't know what that relationship is, but they look to be working with other um, video game companies, including Ubisoft who is, uh, has done some really exciting games in the past. And why, why I bring this up on, on a Strictly High Republic podcast is because they announced an open-world Star Wars video game being developed by Ubisoft um, to come out in the next few years. I, have, I, I, I just have a hope and a wish and maybe a feeling that that will somehow tie into the High Republic. What are your thoughts, Brian? Well, here's hoping. You know, I mean, I'll say that, like, uh, I, I'd i say I'm sort of a video game guy. You know, I, I don't like playing video games by myself very much. Uh, my son's into them, and so I've got him now to play with. And we love Jedi Fallen Order. Love, love, love it. And the graphics on Squadrons, phenomenal. Battlefront and Battlefront 2, we're just kind of getting into, even though we're late to the party on those. But there's so much good stuff. Star Wars video game stuff being designed right now and created um, that to have a whole new like era of Star Wars to just imagine and explore with only, you know, a few books and some concept art to kind of guide you. There's like endless possibilities there. And I would love to meet some new characters. Even I'd love to play with some characters that we're reading about, but I'd love to see some characters created for the game like Cal Kestis was because I mean, what? it's just so enriching. It's one of the best things about the Star Wars universe. You get stuff everywhere. Yeah, I feel like that's that's my hope is what they do is something um, in the High Republic because I'm a little bored of killing stormtroopers all the time. I want to explore different areas of the universe and of the timeline. And I think, to your point, High Republic, they could use some of the characters we know or create a new character because – and we'll talk about it when we get to the book. That's the most exciting thing to me about the High Republic is it's just that blank slate. Like you can just throw anything there and we don't really have a knowledge of what's going to happen. Um, and then one other piece of news is that um, while you can get all of your High Republic needs here on uh, Starlight Beacon, if you want some official Star Wars discussion um, and Lucasfilm discussion on the High Republic, the Star Wars YouTube channel, which does really great stuff, by the way, um, really informative, really fun interviews and in-depth dives into everything Star Wars, um, has released uh, the High Republic show. So they're actually going to be having their own, um, I don't know if it's weekly, I don't know what the cadence of that is, but their own show where they're going to be covering High Republic uh, information. So uh, Stealing Our Thunder, I think, they, uh, they came out with that after we came out with our first episode, so... Um, thanks a lot, Lucasfilm. You stole our idea, but uh, we'll 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 allow it. We'll allow it. Yeah, we're just going to have to, as I said in the previous episode, you know, get some of these people that are involved with it on the podcast. So you know, it's coming soon. Breaking news. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not swearing. I'm not you know I'm not swearing that it'll happen. 
But, uh, you know, I like to think positively. Brian had an exciting uh, interaction with someone related to the High Republic that uh, maybe will come to fruition one day soon. So that's all we're going to leave it at. But that's all I got for, for High Republic news. Um, I want to d- dive into uh, the Star Wars Insider story in a second. Um, but before we do that, just we just spent the last 15 minutes talking about all bunch of news that just came out in the last two weeks um, since High Republic has launched. And that's that's kind of been Disney's MO with how they've handled Star Wars. They hype something up, but don't give you a lot of information beforehand. Um, and then when that thing comes out, then they hit you with a tidal wave of, of new merchandise or new um, information or, or plans for the future. And I personally like that. I, I like to get hyped but not have a lot of information beforehand. And then once I know what the thing is or it's out and I've, I've seen it or read it, um, then I want more. Then I want more. Um, so, Brian, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are. Now that we've lived in the higher public era for, for two weeks as of this recording, what do you what are you thinking? How do you feel? Uh, well, so we're going to get into talking specifically about Light of the Jedi. And Light of the Jedi, obviously, is going to be the greatest impact on how I feel about a higher public so far, since it's the primary thing that I read. Um, I, first of all, I'm super excited that there's new Star Wars content. Um, I, I, I've listened to this. You know, there's a lot of different opinions about Star Wars, strong, strong opinions on about just about everything. Um, and Gary and I have talked about that. We tend to be pretty positive when it comes to Star Wars. Like, there's not really a lot of Star Wars that were like, that's bad, I don't like it, I hate it, I don't like what they did. Um, and so for me, this new era is one of, of excitement and the, you know, I mean, Star Wars is always synonymous with hope. It's uh, the things that I read in this first book that we're going to talk about have got me super excited about the stuff that they're going to continue to do with the characters. Stuff I know that's coming in Claudia Gray's book in February has got me super, super excited. I mean, I'm I feel like I'm just uh, repeating myself. I just keep saying super excited. I, I should, I need a thesaurus out because uh, I don't have at this moment other words. I'm just, I'm enthralled. I'm, I, I can't wait. Yeah. And aside from just the story implications, like you're hitting on about and, and uh, how exciting that is. It's cool that Lucasfilm and, and Del Rey and Disney as, as a whole is really going all in on the High Republic. They, they're they excited about this. You can tell the authors are excited about it. You know, it's the first time in a long time that I remember, um, you know, the Disney social media or the Disney website or, or anything like that has really gone hard with promoting Star Wars um, books. You know, usually they say, oh, we got a new book coming out. Here it is. And then you don't hear about it really again after that. Um, they seem to be going all in on the High Republic because this is – we talked about it a little bit last week. In my opinion, this is what Disney's always wanted to do, and that's create their own era of Star Wars. Yeah, and, and to kind of fall off of what you're saying, too, I think one of the things that's great about Disney acquiring Star Wars, which it's been you know now eight years that they've owned Star Wars, going on nine years or whatever, that they've owned Star Wars. Um, when you look at... George Lucas, and I don't know if you've ever read biographies about George Lucas. I, like, there's a really great one by Brian J. Jones uh, that I, I read. It's a it's a hefty book, but really well written. And um, one of the things that it talks about is how one of George Lucas's struggle was it's his story. He owned it. He loved it, and he was never quite satisfied with what he could do because he was kind of always imagining further out than technology would allow. And that's what made Star Wars so unique is that sort of 
ingenuity and creativity. And so, so one, he, he took it really personal when people didn't like things that he, that he created, uh, which is understandable when you spend so much of yourself in creating something uh, to have people kind of badmouth it or whatever. W one of the things that I think is, is great about Disney owning it is that um, one, because it is an organization that's running with it, they're not taking things as personally, um, which I think is is great. But two is that there's uh, George had a hard time letting go. And so one of the biggest complaints that people had about George Lucas was that he would go back and change things that people had watched and loved, right? Um, because it now, now, you know, years later, he could make it do what he wanted to do originally. So he was going to make it do that. Um, and so the, the, the idea that because it's, um, I'm losing my train of thought here. Come back, come back, come back. Um, that, uh, oh, shoot, hold on. You're going to have to edit this part out. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what was I trying to say? We're talking about oh. Disney and, and. Yeah. So there's, it's not just one thing. You know, it's just—it's not just one person is really what I'm getting at. It, it, George was kind of making his decision, and then he would be dissatisfied with what he couldn't do, and he would go would go back and try and edit it. But in this case, there are a plethora of different creative voices bouncing off one another, just like we're seeing specifically in the High Republic, that are—they're bouncing their ideas off of one another, and they're so, so they're able to refine their ideas in that way. George really didn't have people like that. I feel like in until he got to the cartoons and he had Dave Filoni and, and Pablo Hidalgo and, and those kind of people that were more invested with him. I feel like that's when he was really able to kind of connect with other people creative, creatively. So the, the, the idea that Disney has this higher public and they have hundreds of people, they have the story group, they have all these creators. It just opens it up for a lot of uh, unique, creative, kind of outlandish ideas. Absolutely. Um, so let's jump into what were, what those creative unique ideas are and what they came up with. And that's light of the Jedi, which is the first book here in the high Republic. And before we got to light of the Jedi, we kind of got a sneak peek, um, over the past month or so, they released the first couple chapters. They released, um, a lot of information about light of the Jedi. I steered clear from that. I wanted to sit down and crack the book open with very little knowledge. Um, but if you get Star Wars Insider, like I do, and I have since I was a kid, um, because it's, it's really the best magazine and it's like, uh, it's such a treat to get it. Um, even though it's, it's, I don't their publishing schedule is kind of weird, but, uh, every now and then one will just show up on my Kindle or at my door and I'm excited for it. But if you get Star Wars Insider, they've been doing, um, always have always done great short stories and, uh, within the Star Wars universe. And now they've, they've shifted that to the higher public. So Charles Soule actually wrote, um, what is called uh, Starlight Part One, Go Together. And that is kind of a little prologue, or, or as Brian said before we were, we were recording, Chapter Zero of um, Light of the Jedi. And um, it's, a, it's very short, it's about three pages, it just covers two characters from the book, Joss and Bika, who are a married couple that we meet in the, the story. Um, they're two pilots who work for the Republic and get involved in um, you know, some of the action that takes place during the story. It's a, it's a fun little quick read. Doesn't have a ton of implications on Light of the Jedi or from what I can tell so far, High Republic in general. 
Um, but it's still interesting way to meet some of the characters. There's going to be an epilogue, <coughs> um, Starlight Part 2, which will be in the February edition of The Insider. And then in the spring edition, either March or April, I don't know when it's published, um, there's actually going to be another short story called First Duty. And I don't have many details about that other than it's written by Kevin Scott. So looking forward to those stories. It's just, it's just really cool because it just shows that they're, they're really spreading the higher public across all forms of media. There's, um, we talked about it last week, right? There's adult novels, young adult novels, early readers, children's books, articles in Star Wars Insider. There's two different types of comic books. We potentially are going to get a video game and a TV show. It's really cool. Um, and it, I'm happy, even like the authors, like that's Charles Soule wrote this and Kevin Scott is writing one. The authors of the High Republic are writing stories for Star Wars Insider. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, and I think that when we first got the, when they did the kind of big author event, and even earlier when they did the announcement, they, they had an image that had all the publication companies, all the organizations that were going to be a part of it. And there were some that we could very easily be like, oh, okay, so there's, you know, Delray, there's going to be adult novels, you know, Lucas, Lucas, uh, uh, films, whatever, press, Lucas Press, whatever, that's going to be our young adult and our, our young readers, you know, those kind of things. But there were maybe some that some people didn't know as well, like Titan and Titan the one that does the insider story. So that's where they tie in. Viz Media was on there and we had no no idea what Viz Media was doing. And honestly, I'm also, um, manga is not my strength when it comes to comics. I don't know as much about them, uh, but anyone who knew manga would have been able to pick up right away. There must be some manga coming. Um, but we may have thought it was going to be like, there's manga for Lost Stars and for Leia Princess of Alderaan, which are adaptations of the Claudia Gray novels. We wouldn't have known that there was going to be an original uh, manga. So we just keep seeing more and more companies that were mentioned and kind of figuring out where they fit into all of this. And that's exciting. So um, I do want to say from here on out for the rest of the episode, we will be very spoiler heavy. So if you have not read Light of the Jedi, um, you probably don't want to listen to the rest of this episode, unfortunately, or come back and listen to it when you have read it, because we're going to dissect that book and, and go into heavy, heavy spoilers. Um, for the purpose of our conversation, um, I want to be transparent and say that as of this recording, I have only read Light of the Jedi, and I started the first two chapters of Test of Courage this morning. I have not read the Marvel comic. I have, uh, that's it. That's, that's all I've read so far is Light of the Jedi, and I did read The Great Jedi Rescue, and we'll talk about that a little bit, because I don't think that needs a ton of conversation. So my opinion on anything High Republic is basically just coming from Light of the Jedi, and I have no knowledge past that. Brian, where are you at? So I've read Light of the Jedi. I have read The Great Jedi Rescue, and I've read the Marvel comic. I have not read any of the Test of Courage yet. And the only thing I will say about the Marvel comic, because we're going to our next dish, episode is going to be dealing with comics some. Uh, if, am I right about that? Yes. Yeah. So uh, the only thing I will say about the Marvel comic is that part of it also takes place in this book, Light of the Jedi. So, um, so they're very, everything's very connected, very interwoven. And you definitely, I feel like you, I feel like no matter what you usually do, let's say you're an adult novel reader, this is the time to be an everything reader. This is because it's also interwoven and it just adds and enriches the other things. So they stand on their own, but it's nice to have them all. Sure. And, the question I see a lot on Star Wars uh, fan pages or, or um, on Facebook or whatnot is, is what's the correct reading order? 
from everything we've heard, uh, Light of the Jedi, and, and now we know, is the kind of the starting point for the whole High Republic. And then, um, you know, the Great Jedi Rescue takes place and the beginning of Light of the Jedi. Test of Courage and the Marvel comic take place near the end of Light of the Jedi. So really, Light of the Jedi should be the thing that you're reading first. And then I think uh, it branches out from there. So just wanted to get that out of the way and say we are going to be very spoiler heavy. I'm going to give us as much of a plot summary as I possibly can. Um, and why I say that is because this is a very dense book. There is a lot that happens. There's a lot of new characters, um, a lot to discuss in here. So coming up with like a, a plot summary without completely just re, you know, reiterating the entire book was honestly kind of challenging. So um, if you listen to this and say, Gary, in your plot summary, you didn't, you didn't mention this character, this character, this character, or this story. I, I know, I, I understand, <laughs> but I'm just giving a summary and we're going to use that as a jumping off point um, to talk uh, more in depth. So uh, don't, don't, don't yell at me for that. All right, Brian, are you ready for the plot of Light of the Jedi? Yes, and I will make one more little caveat before we get started, which is that um, as an English teacher, when I make my students read aloud, which they all hate, um, when I make them read aloud in class, we will read, you know, we'll read stuff like, uh, for instance, The Necklace by Guy de Maupassant, which was originally written in French, and the you know, people struggle with some of the names and terms and stuff like that, and I, I always tell them, listen, you just say those names with confidence, like you know exactly what you're saying, and none of us will know any better because we don't speak French. <laughs> and so with Star Wars, it's like 10 times as much because these are like names from planets that don't exist and languages that don't exist. So it's highly likely they'll be pronounced differently in the audiobooks. It's likely the authors might pronounce them differently. And as we hear official pronunciations, we'll adjust. But in the meantime, we're going to speak confidently and you won't even know if we're wrong because these names are not real. So <laughs> thank you for that boost of confidence there, Brian. Um, yeah. And that's a good another good point, too, about the High Republic is these are characters names we have never heard said aloud. I mean, if you listen to the audiobook, you probably have. But it's not like when you're reading, um, you know, Rebel Rising and, you know, it's pronounced Jin Urso and Saul Guerrero. Right. You, you know, those names. We heard those in the movies and whatnot. So these are names that we have never heard pronounced aloud. So. I'm going to read them. And we're going to talk about them to Brian's point, the way that we think that they sound and we'll adjust as needed. So I'm going to jump in. Um, this is your last chance for, for a spoiler warning because from here on out, it is in-depth spoilers. All right. And here we go. So it is a time of relative peace in the galaxy, thanks to Chancellor Lena So's great works. But on the eve of the opening of a new galaxy-wide way station, military base, and cultural center called the Starlight Beacon, a disaster strikes. While in hyperspace above the Hetzel system, the freighter Legacy's Run is destroyed. Pieces of the doomed ship rain down on the system, causing mass destruction and catastrophic loss of life. Local Jedi, led by Jedi Master Avar Chris, respond to the distress calls and try to mitigate the disaster on both the ground and in the air. Chris is able to use the Force to connect Jedi across the galaxy to stop a large piece of debris that is headed for the system's sun. This impact would have destroyed every planet in the system. The Jedi are successful in diverting the piece of debris from the sun. However, several Jedi and millions of lives are lost as a result of the legacy run destruction. This galactic event now becomes known as the Great Disaster. Since any interference with a ship in hyperspace is thought to be impossible, 
Chancellor So and the Senate close hyperspace lanes across the galaxy. This leaves several Jedi spread across the galaxy. Chris and her lifelong companion, Elzar Mann, speak with the wealthy San Tekka family. Hey, that name sounds familiar. Um, thought to be the galaxy's experts on hyperspace lanes. The San Tekkas confirm that hyperspace interference should be impossible. Debris from the legacy runs, uh, the legacy's run continues to decimate parts of the galaxy. Such events are now called emergences. A young scientist who survived the, the issues at Hetzel named Kevin Tarr plans to study the emergences to try and predict their next locations in hopes of preventing any further destruction. It is determined that the great disaster was caused by the Nile, an outer rim group of marauders who live with seemingly no code other than we take what we want and we live freely. The Nile are separated into three tempests or gangs led by Kasav, Lorna D, and Pan Etna, who work with a mysterious person known as the Eye of the Nile, Markian Roe. Roe is able to provide the Nile with hyperspace paths, which allow them to travel across hyperspace, hyperspace lanes. This gives them a great advantage in that they can travel undetected and free of any known hyperspace lanes. These paths have led that have proved to be incredibly fruitful as they pirate their way across the outer rim. Roe actually receives these paths from Mari Santeca, who is able to create paths through hyperspace. And we will discuss our thoughts on how she can do that. On the planet Elfornia, let's, let's say that, uh, you said be confident. Elfornia, uh, Jedi Master Loading Greatstorm and his Padawan Bel Zedifar try and rescue a family that has been kidnapped by some of Lorna D's Nile gang. Markian Roe sets up Kassav in a battle against the Republic and Jedi as punishment for revealing the Nile to the galaxy. Kassav and his entire Tempest are killed, but Loden Greatstorm is captured by Lorna D. Roe uses Kassav's defeat to convince the Nile to wage full-out war against the Republic and re reveals that he orchestrated all the events, including the Great Disaster, in order to capture a Jedi. And now that he has Loden Greatstorm, he takes full control of the Nile. The Republic and Kevin Tarr can now predict emergencies and Avar Chris becomes the commander in charge of Starlight Beacon, which opens as planned. Some in the galaxy believe the Nile to be defeated, but the Jedi are in doubt and warn of a larger threat. And that is, in a couple paragraphs, my opinion of the summary of Light of the Jedi. But I'm sure there's a million things I missed in there, Brian. How did I do? Oh, man, that was good. Yeah, there's... There's no way to get it all in without having, you know, 300 and something pages of book to, to, to tell it in. Yeah. So um, I think first and foremost, what I wanted to talk about was uh, how exciting, but a little frustrating it was for me. And I don't want to give away my whole hand of my thoughts in the book, but that there was so many characters in this book. I know we're setting up a new um a new timeline and a new uh, a new not a new timeline, but a new kind of error for Star Wars. But we're introduced with so many characters, and at least for the first hundred pages or so, um, I was I was a little bit I was struggling a little bit to keep track of all the new Jedi, all the new characters, who was a Jedi, who wasn't a Jedi. Um, that that was a little tough for me. But <laughs> as we'll talk about, 
we weed through characters pretty quick, quickly. Some characters don't last very long. Yeah, and I think I think that I, I almost like shut down that part of my brain when I started reading it because I was like, if I spend all my time trying to understand every single character right now, I'm not going to get the richness of the plot. So I sort of just like re relaxed into the story, and 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 I say relaxed it. Into. That's completely wrong because the first third of the book was like nail biting, like white knuckling, like sweat pouring, like intense action for like the first third of the book. And I, I expected it, you know, that we were going to have this sort of like event at the beginning and then move on. But it just it, it, it took a while with that event. And, uh, and it was so good. There's no way I could have put that book down. That's why I read for me. I read the book in two days. Yeah, I I agree. The the first third of this book is just it's amazing action, and then just like I mean, you could probably speak to this as an English teacher, right? You have your rising action in the beginning, and then you kind of have your climax. But I felt like there was no lull in the middle either. There was just nonstop uh, nail biting action, even if it wasn't like you know a space battle or a lightsaber battle. There was still something going on that I needed to get to the next the next section or the next chapter. Um, when we start off, we start off with the, on the legacy run. Um, and the captain there who tries to save, uh, her ship, but they get destroyed by smashing into a Nile ship. And that really set the tone of, of the book. And maybe what we're in for, for this whole series is we introduced this character who I was definitely invested in. I was definitely invested in this story. I didn't know what was going to happen. And within 10 pages, she was dead. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and she was so confident, and you could tell that she was one of those people that so has everything together, that even as there was this, like, moment where it seemed like she couldn't escape, I was like, oh, she's going to get out of this somehow. Like, this is, it's just, just going to be a shocking thing, and then they're going to figure out what happened. But, like, no, 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 she didn't. She died. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that was the first couple chap chapters. There was, you know, hey, this is uh, some, some residents of the planet uh, Hetzel. I believe that's how you pronounce it, Hetzel. Um, and we got to meet them. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we killed off a character in the first chapter. Now I'm going to start to get to know some other characters. These might be our son. No, oh, no, they're dead now too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the character, it, I don't, I don't want to sound like you, like sort of, um, it, it almost could come across like we're like, like almost bitter. Like, man, I keep liking this character. And then you kill him off. What are you, uh, you know, George R.R. R. Martin of the Star Wars <laughs> world? Like, what's happening here? But um, there are, the characters that are left are so good, and it gives them something to deal with going forward. Not just the Nile, not just the, the, the great disaster, but the loss of friends and coworkers that's going to weigh on them as we go forward. It's a great character development tool for those in the future. Yeah, and it's it's a testament to Charles Soule, who I've read his comic book work in Star Wars. He did The Rise of Kylo Ren, which was actually really great. He's done some phenomenal work on um, Darth Vader. He's done some great work outside of Star Wars with Marvel. Uh, he wrote a really great run of Daredevil. I'm a huge Daredevil fan that I like. So he's a great author. This is the first time I've ever read any of his, like a novel or anything like that that he's written outside of comics. And I just want to put it up front right now. He might be at the top or right with Claudia Gray as my favorite Star Wars author. He does such a terrific job of keeping the action engaging, keeping the story moving, 
and introducing these characters to your point that we immediately care about. And that is no easy task. Yeah, it's, I, I felt like when I found out that he was doing the adult novel, like, cause they announced it originally who the authors were and where the productions were coming out. So they said, you know, Del Rey, Lucas, Lucasfilm Press, Marvel, IDW. I was like, okay, well, obviously he's going to be the Marvel author. And, you know, I think many of us had these authors kind of placed in different positions. And then once they announced who was tied to what, it was kind of like, oh, oh, okay. Charles Soule's doing the, I mean, he's written novels before, but you know, not for Star Wars. And so it was kind of like, okay, he's, he's, uh, he's doing the, the first adult novel, like the, he's kicking it off. But those of us who'd read that Star Wars stuff that he's written were like, I mean, he's good. Let's, let's, let's see what happens in novel form. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, he really set the tone for this series. Um, and we, we, as we continue to talk about our characters, I think in my mind, you know, I, I was thinking we're going to have a central character for the High Republic, right? That's how Star Wars kind of functions. You have this great ensemble, but there's one person at the heart. You have your Luke Skywalker, you have your Rey, you have your Jyn Erso or... Uh, whoever it is, this is the character, kind of our POV character we're going to follow. I don't think that, now that I've read Light of the Jedi, that's not, I, I can tell you that's not going to be the case with the High Republic, at least at first. I think they're, they've established some of our, our cornerstone characters so far, but I I went into this book thinking I'm going to follow a character. Um, when they introduced Avar Chris, I'm like, okay, this is she's going to be the main character of this book. That's not the case. Uh, I think there's a lot of characters that are main characters, you referenced George R. R. Martin. I think that this book is written a lot like a George R. R. Martin book, where it's all POV. You're 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 just jumping from character to character, and they're all central um, to the bigger story. Yeah, and one of the things I can't wait to get into as we get a little further into our talk is to hear which characters were the ones that really you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear more about that character, and to see if we line up at all. And I'm I'm, I'm going to be honest because there were so many characters, I'm still really struggling with some of the names. So like right now, my favorite character that I'm like, I want to hear so much more about this character. I'm trying to find his name as we're talking because I can't remember it, but I can remember can where I, he is. Can I, can I guess who it is? Give it a shot. I am, and we haven't talked about this before, so I'll, I'll just tip my hand here. My favorite characters are Lorden and Belle. I think that they had the most compelling, interesting story. That was the one I kept wanting to get back to. I think the character you are most interested in is tied to them and is the, I don't remember his name either, and I should have written it down, the Jedi who's kind of lived 300 years and has done like all the roles in the Jedi. Am I, am I correct? Absolutely. The cook? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I'm going to find it. I'm going to grab the book and find it. But the, uh, yeah, he is absolutely my favorite character. I'm so 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 excited to learn more about him and i really love loden and bell as well but uh but for me there was just so much less told about this person and so much more like hinting at this great history and i'm like oh man give it to me yeah yeah i thought he was a compelling character and i'm like okay now we're gonna get a series about him because he's lived a life and he's done it all and i definitely want to learn more about him um but the first the first major character we we meet is abar chris uh, Avar, uh, let's go Avar, Chris. Um, and she has a really unique ability that we haven't seen explored in Star Wars before or with the Force. And she 
has the ability to, I, she interprets the force as a song and as music. And I, that resonated a lot with me as a musician. Because <laughs> um, there's oftentimes that I, I, you know, you can, you can kind of sense music or you can just kind of feel music as, as this, this presence around you. Yeah, and I, just to, to chip in real briefly, but one of my absolute favorite things about this series, and, and you are hinting at it there, and we're going to get to it more with all the characters, is that they kind of talked about that all the Jedi experience the Force in a different way, and they really illustrated that in this book. And that was so interesting to me, you know, because I talked about how, to me, I, I really am drawn to the Jedi aspect as sort of like a parallel of faith, as someone that my faith is, is significant to me. and. Um, it really sets up the idea how you can have um, the same faith, but differing differing interpretations of that faith and how there's beauty in that and diversity. And, and I really, really loved seeing that. And I can't wait to keep learning not only what the other characters, how they experience the force, but getting a richer understanding of that because they build on that. She hears it as a song throughout the whole book. And it's it's just beautiful. Yeah, I agree. And and we can talk about it now. Like, we don't have to push things off. The, who the Jedi are in this book is fascinating to me. You know, we know the Jedi from the prequel era as, you know, the, they're kind of, you know, they're not warriors. They're to, to the side, kind of involved in politics. And we talked about it last week. The Jedi of the prequel era are maybe not corrupt, but misguided or have their priorities not aligned. Um, but everyone in the galaxy knows who they are. And that's that's it's true of, of the High Republic. Everyone knows who the Jedi are, but they're still kind of a mystery, right? And I think that's really neat. They're still like this, we don't know too much about the Jedi. We know that they exist, which is more than we get in like the, the, the original trilogy or sequel trilogy. We know they exist, but their, their powers, what they can do, there's still this huge mystery to us. And they're still kind of separate from the Republic. They're still kind of separate from like a normal normal society even and they there's they still have this great mystery to them um and i think it comes late in the book when when the one of the nile leaders kasab um you know he's terrified that he might have to fight the jedi because he just he knows their 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 legacy and what you hear about the jedi so i i love who the jedi are in this book it, it's what we've always kind of wanted the jedi to be they're the protectors of peace throughout the galaxy like obi-wan says but they're they're still a mystery and and that just shows that the Jedi always have been had that mystery and that air of mystery to them, which I think is really really cool. Yeah, and and it builds on too. You know, if we're going back to the people who love Star Wars movies, the in the original trilogy, which you know obviously are the best, you know, for for most people, including I, I mean, Return of the Jedi's my absolute favorite. But we, you know, it seemed like pretty much all the Jedi that we met were kind of similar. All, pe all human people all had one lightsaber. You know, we didn't get a lot of depth of those characters. Yoda was kind of the standout different, you know, different race, different species. We get to the prequel novels, and for the first time we have this abundant diversity of Jedis from different planets, different races, and even for the first time, a different kind of lightsaber with Darth Maul's, you know, double-bladed lightsaber. And that's, again, one of the things that I have a great love for so far in the High Republic is it just is even more expanding on the diversity of Jedi. They're introducing all these characters to us and, and they're, you know, to Gruta and, and uh, Twi'lek and, and, and Wookiee and they have all different 
different kinds of lightsabers. And I, I'm, I'm excited about that diversity. On, on a separate note, just to mention real quick, um, man, I, never mind. <laughs> I had the guy's name and I immediately forgot it. I'm going to find it again. Keep going. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, Porter. Porter was his name. Porter. Porter, son. yes. He was very cool. I envisioned him as having a long, long beard. I think because I saw him on the cover of the Light of the Jedi special edition. But did you think he, did they describe him as having a beard in the book? I don't remember. No, but they, they described his race, and I had to look up his race because I, I don't know all the Star Wars races. And sure, uh, Porter Engel. Porter Engel is his name, and so he's you know his race is like like gray skin with dark markings, I think, or something like that. So it was a race I wasn't as familiar with. I'll I'll, I'll look it up, and when we get to it later, I'll talk about it. But let's keep going. And I don't want to slow us down any more than I already have. That's all good. I think uh, there's, there's a lot to talk about here, so that's fine. Um, so, Mark Chris, um, I liked her character a lot. And I could see her being, now that's especially where she ends up at the end of the book as kind of the overseer of Starlight Beacon, I think she might be one of our, our central characters of the High Republic. I mean, who knows, right? And that's the cool thing about High Republic. She might die in the next book, but... I have a feeling she'll be one of our central characters for the High Republic. I, I liked her character. Um, I didn't. I didn't love her because she felt a little cold to me. She felt like very methodical, and um, I tend to like the characters like Lord and Bell who have a little bit more personality. Um, interested to see what your what kind of what your overall assessment of of, of R was because I, I do think she's going to be a character we're going to be following for a while. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think that to me, I would have thought of her as like someone who's like, uh, she's very, she's kind of ethereal in, in the way that she processes things. And she's very, um, if, since the, the force is a, is a music to her, I am I'm thinking of it as a symphony, not, she's not jamming out to ska music in the force. Like, uh, we would, uh, but, but, uh, but that makes sense for, for kind of the role that she's going to play, I think, for sure. Um, I think that she's someone that you only get to see her emotions really with one character. And um, everyone else, she's kind of in this stoic leadership type role. But there's one character she's closer to. And so I'm looking forward to the sort of development there. Yeah, that character is Elzer Mann. Um, so if you're looking at the cover of Light of the Jedi, by the way, um, on the cover, the blonde woman is Avar. The handsome gentleman next to her is Elzar. Then you have Loden. Um, he's the Twi'lek. And then the Wookiee is, uh, I'm going to say, Baruga. I think that's how you pronounce it. Barag. I'm not sure. But I'm going to say Baruga until, we <laughs> until somebody tells me how to pronounce it. Um, so those are the, the cover characters there. Elzar is um, her lifelong friend. They came up through the Academy. And we are, it's very strongly hinted that there's a romance or there was a romance between the two at some point. And as we know from um, the prequel era, you know, romance and, and attachments like that are, are forbidden. And I liked that, that character piece for, uh, I'm confusing all my names, Avar Chris, because she did seem like that ethereal, stoic kind of, you know, very focused person. But the fact that she might have that little crack in the armor that she has this emotional attachment to another Jedi, I can see that becoming a major plot point in the future. 
Yeah, definitely something that's going to play a role. And 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 to be honest, Elzar to me was more fascinating than Avar because oh by the way, interesting that their names sort of have this resonance, like you know, like a a harmony almost to each other, Elzar and Avar. Um, but the uh, but what to me was more fascinating about Elzar was that he is like a he gets in trouble with the Jedi a lot because like he can never make it to like Jedi master. He's just Jedi Knight, even though everyone acknowledges that he's this phenomenal force user, but it's because he basically is always like, hmm, what else can I do with the force? How, how can I do this differently? And he uses the force. He's always trying to do something different or do it in a different way. And he's always uh, uh, like, he's using the force for things that they're like, you shouldn't use the force for that. He's he's us as a Jedi, right? Like if we, had, if we had the Force, we would be like, oh man, I left my glasses in the other room. I'm going to use the Force to sit, bring my glasses to me, right? Because why not? It's not like the Force is because he talks a lot about the Force being a bottomless ocean, right? That's his his view of it, and so there's no there's no limit to that. Um, but the other Jedi don't approve of that very much, so um, he's he he always gets shunted aside. So you've got sort of the classic A plus like honor student in Avar, and then you've got the sort of gifted uh, person who's not as worried about their grades, but is you know wants to understand things in Elzar, and they can appreciate each other, but a lot of people don't see that they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and we don't spend we spend a lot of time with them, but we don't really learn too much about them, and they're not heavily involved in the action outside of. You know, the beginning when, when Avar brings uh, all the Jedi together to to help stop that one container from hitting the sun. Um, but I, I feel like we're definitely going to learn more about them in the future. Um, to me, I, I also liked Elzar a lot. He was a character I, I was really invested in for the reasons you said. And I think him and, and Loden definitely had that. They both had that Qui-Gon Jinn vibe to them. Do you know what I mean by that? Like they're they're challenging kind of what the Jedi are. And they're like. Yeah, the Jedi have always done this, but we can also do this. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I I don't know how you want to go through these characters. I certainly don't want to step on your toes, but uh, Loden has the most fascinating uh, uh, teaching techniques. Um, <laughs> if I used his teaching techniques, I would lose my teacher certification and be fired forever. <laughs> but but they work. <laughs> Sure. I mean, we could jump. We could just jump to it now. Like, like I said, Loden and Bell are my favorite part of the book. Loden was my favorite character. Like, he is such a charismatic, fun, interesting character. Um, by design, right? Based on what happens to him at the end of the book, and we're we're you know he's that. Not that he he shares traits with Han Solo, but he's the character you kind of relate to and is the fun one. Um, and then at the end, when he's left in peril, a la Han Solo at Empire Strikes Back you're really concerned and you're really like, okay, I need to find out what happens to this guy. Cause I really, really like this character. And I would have, I'm going to say right now, I would have not had the high opinion of this book that I do. If he had died at the end of this book, I, I want to spend more time with him. I think probably his demise will come eventually. Cause it's going to be important for Bell's growth. And Bell is another character up there with Avar that I think is going to be one of our central characters more so than Loden. Um, but I want to spend as much time with Loden as I possibly can right now. Yeah, and I would say that a difference between Loden and Han is that I always felt like Han had more guts than he did brains. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like Han's, Han, Han was just like, like if you watch so, you know, the Solo, which I love, the Solo movie, um, you know, everything he does is just kind of like, eh, I got to do it or we're going to die, so let's do it, you know? And he gets by, you know, he figures it out. But it's, it's just pure guts. Loden has wisdom and training and background behind that, but also has for sure the guts and the kind of gruffness. My One of my favorite things ever is the part where he's trying to teach Bell how to uh, land, you know, use the force to soften his landing and basically just kicks him off a mountain, like <laughs> shoves him off the mountain and like, all right, you got it. <laughs> and, uh, and Bell doesn't have it. And it's basically like resigning himself to die. And he had someone down at the bottom to help him if he couldn't do it. But Bell didn't know that. He's just like, my master had too much faith in me. He was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like Bell. I think this is, this is going to be a lot of character story, but I think throughout the High Republic, we're going to see Bell grow. Um, I don't think we're, like I said a bunch of times, I don't think we're going to have a primary protagonist. But if you had to ask me three years from now, who's going to have the most character growth and who's going to be the character we follow, my guess based on just this book would be Belle. Yeah, and, it, and, and it, to me, one of the things that was most important about Belle too is just like anybody that's learning something that's difficult. And I mean, the Force is not easy. You know, obviously, we've learned that. We've watched people trying to grow in the force with Luke and with Ray and all those kind of characters. It's, it's not easy, but bell who has very little faith in himself to do some of these things. As soon as somebody else, a, a, another person is in danger, all that it's just, I have to do it to save this person. And there's no, no more doubt, no more fear. And so I find that really powerful that we see that sort of selflessness is the thing that can push bell forward. And um, I said it before, the, the part of the book that I was most engaged with was the, the Loden and Bell story. Um, I, I always wanted to get back to those chapters. They were riveting. Um, they were trying to stop a, a group of Nile from kidnapping a family on the, the planet they were kind of hanging out on while the hyperspace lanes were closed. Um, they're just great characters, and there was a lot of action in that story. But if I had to say kind of my second favorite section or pov of the book i would say anything having to do with the nile um and i want to kind of pivot to the nile real quick um going into this series that was the one thing i was like this is the jedi what what could be a force that can confront the jedi if we're not dealing with sith because i think they've made it clear maybe maybe you know based on what you think going to happen with Markeon Rowe, but maybe that we're not going to have any Sith in this in this saga here. So how could the Nile be an intimidating force? And after reading just Light of the Jedi, I was like, yeah, the Nile, the Nile can mess some people up. What do you think? Yeah, so for me, when I read, um, I'm always struck by language and word choice, right? So as an English teacher, I'm telling my kids that they need to pay attention to diction. That word choice is important. As a Harry Potter fan, you know, um, J.K. Rowling would constantly name characters and they would have, the name would have more importance than you would know. You know, like Remus Lupin, both of his names basically point to Wolf. And then like later when it's revealed that he's a werewolf, you're like, what? And you're like, <laughs> J.K. Rowling's like, his name is Wolfie McWolferson, basically. Like, I mean, <laughs> I couldn't have made it any clearer. So with, with the Nile, I wanted to go and like look up 
what, you know, I, the word Nihil obviously struck me with nihilism, you know, yes. it's, it's essentially the same word, N-I-H-I-L. So nihilism is a philosophy or family of views, according to Wikipedia, which I'm plagiarizing right now, uh, within philosophy, expressing some form of negation towards life or towards fundamental concepts such as knowledge, existence, and the meaning of life. That different nihilistic positions hold variously that human values are baseless, that life is meaningless, that knowledge is impossible, or that some set of entities does not exist. And the word nihil itself literally translates to nothing. So they are the nothing. And I thought that was really interesting. Basically, I, I constantly take that idea of nihilism as the idea of the destruction of all things, you know. And so that's kind of how that tied into me to me. And it made me very interested to see where they're going. Um, and, and, it, and it really relates to the idea that even though they have this sort of structure, um, it's it, they're, it's sort of constantly destroying itself. You know what I mean? Like uh, we have this foundation there's this three this three-tier structure with the eye at the top and um, but if you screw us over like we're gonna toss you you know out into space we're gonna kill you like we're we have no we don't value each other we don't protect each other whereas the Empire was a much, much different kind of foe yes yeah and I, that's what I like I like that they don't feel like the Empire at all they are not as polished as the Empire the empire even still was still kind of the government, right? They still had values that they had to abide by and morals sometimes. The Nile don't, like you said. And uh, that's what I think is really exciting about them. And I like the the Tempest Heads. That's a really cool concept. But really, I was just drawn to, to Mark Yenro. I think he is the standout character from this entire book to me. And we get to see him have a ton of growth in this story, going from... Someone who's just there, I kind of got the feeling uh, in the front he was just biding his time, and I was I was correct because that's what he was doing. He was trying to take over and have complete control of the Nile, which he does by the end of the book. And I am really, really excited to see what happens with this character, especially the the fact that he has a Jedi at his disposal at the end. And I mean, maybe I interpreted this wrong, but at the end he has some sort of weapon or tool that they really didn't talk about much, but it seems like it has power over Jedi or it's something more powerful than he's letting on. Yeah, I think that when we start out with him, he seems very much like he's just sort of like a, uh, like heir to the empire, like, you know, sort of a, a, a corporate sleaze bag that has money and wears a mask and is a little bit intimidating visually when he takes off his mask. But we start to see how sinister and, and sort of vile and, and vicious he is, as we see his interactions with, with um, old lady Santeca, and we see, uh, I forgot her first name, so I called her old lady. Um, <laughs> and, and we see his interactions later, especially with Loden at the end, and even with his own people, that he will stop at nothing to get what he wants, and he is absolutely, he's, he's, he's three steps ahead of people, he's vicious, he's violent, and, uh, and and there's a lot more going on than we're ever seeing of what he's doing. So let's 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 be. I'm gonna use this phrase. Let's be the internet for a second and kind of fantasize or or guess what is actually going on with him. He makes illusions that his name you know, his name is Marky and Row that that's not even his real name. 
and that there is way more than we know about him, like you just said. Do you think that he's going to tie into something we already know about, whether that's bringing something like the Old Republic or Knights of the Republic into canon, or tie somehow into the Sith or some, some character we know? Do you think that's where they're going with this? So to me, it definitely seems like there's a very personal vendetta, uh, the kind of vendetta that can only exist when someone has either been a part of the Jedi and been tossed aside or uh, was supposed to have been protected by the Jedi and wasn't. So, um, you know, and, and if it's that latter, he would have been, you know, a child and the Jedi were supposed to save his family and didn't in some way. Um, that's where I feel like that vendetta is coming from. So, yeah, I can certainly see him tying into uh, darker abilities. And he seems to have knowledge of the way force users feel things. Like he purposefully surrounds Loden, and this is definitely a big spoiler for near the end, purposefully surrounds Loden with people in absolute agony and anguish because he knows that Loden can feel that in the force and it will overpower Loden's ability to use the force to help himself. And, uh, and I found that to be, I mean, he's got a dozen people in there that he's torturing for no reason other than to keep Loden in misery and keep him powerless. Like, they're not even people to him. They're just tools. So that really highlights the, the level of viciousness. And whether it's going to tie in, sorry, whether it's going to tie in, you know, with like the Acolyte, you know, at the end of the, which is going to tie into High Republic or something else, I have no idea. Yeah, I, you know what? That's I hadn't thought that he might be a former Jedi, um, but that is a that's an interesting theory there, and I I I'm, can't wait. That's the, one of the fun, most fun things about Star Wars, right? Is theorizing where it's going to go, and especially right now in the higher public, we have no idea, right? You 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 watch the sequel trilogy, and you're like, I kind of know what's going to happen. I, I I can guess, or we know that like this character's safe, or this character, we know that they have a future or they have a past. We don't know that with the higher public, and that's cool. Um, but another person that he's using to his advantage, as we stated, is I think her name is Mari, Mari Santeca. Um, one, let's just shout it out right now. Uh, the Santeca reference was completely unexpected. For those of you who, who didn't ca catch it, um, Lore Santeca is the character at the beginning of Force Awakens that Poe Dameron um, gets some information from uh, about Luke Skywalker. And we found out through some comics that uh, Laura Santeca and Luke Skywalker were kind of traveling the galaxy together, looking for Jedi artifacts, Jedi relics, um, as they were kind of looking into uh, restarting the Jedi or whatever that looked like. We don't know yet. We don't know much more about Laura Santeca. I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's ever been said if he's force sensitive or I know he wasn't a Jedi, but if there's anything there. But I was not anticipating seeing his name pop up here, and I was really happy with that. So we, we meet his great, 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 great grandparents or something along those lines who Avar and, and Elsar meet with. And they seem to be, to, to be a little shady, like they have something going on or they're hiding something. And we find out what they're hiding is a relative of theirs, maybe, I don't know what the, the relation there, um, is with uh, Markian Rowe and is the one providing the hyperspace pass for the Nile um, through, it's never explicitly said, but through potentially through the Force. Um, how did you interpret that? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, since, since when we talk about abilities, that's really where abilities seem to come from is some sort of connection with the Force. So I would say it's got to be some sort of tie-in to the Force. 
um, where she's imagining those. And and just to also connect with what we said about the Santecas, really fascinating. You know, when we see Laura Santeca, what he's giving him, you said, is information for how to find Luke Skywalker. Specifically, it's part of a map, right? Right. So the Santecas have always had this connection, apparently, that we're discovering now, always had this connection with pathways through space and hyperspace and 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 that kind of stuff. And so there's a huge connection there. Why would Lord Santeca have that? Well, because his family has always had this information about the, uh, you know, how to travel through space and because of his connection with Luke. Absolutely. And this is the one thing I wanted to chat about um, when I, as soon as I read this, I've, I've been really fascinated by some of the the new canon Thrawn books, and I'm going to spoil all three, actually all four Thrawn books that have been written, minor spoilers. But in those those Thrawn books by Timothy Zahn, so Thrawn, Thrawn um, Alliances, and Thrawn uh, Treason, and Thrawn Chaos Rising, they talk about the Chiss uh, Ascendancy, which is Thrawn's uh, species in the Outer Rim, and they have a group of, they never explicitly say Force-sensitive individuals on the Chiss who are called Skywalkers, which I thought is really, really interesting. And when I, before Rise of Skywalker came out, I thought that that was going to tie in somehow because that name is just very too, con, you know, very convenient, a little too convenient that Thrawn calls the people with Force with force ability Skywalkers before he ever meets Anakin Skywalker. And the Skywalkers are Chiss children who um, have the ability to navigate hyperspace and navigate hyperspace lanes. So with that being said, uh, I, I, I'm sure that's intentional and intentionally ties to this character. I'm just really wondering how this is going to all tie together. And if we're going to see the Chiss come in because they're in the Outer Rims, the Nile are there in the Outer Rim. Um, I just, I, it's, I don't have a, a real endpoint here, but I'm just saying the connective tissue between a lot of these Star Wars books is amazing, and it it really pays to read uh, all the books, especially in release order if you can, because as we see now at the High Republic, it's all part of a bigger picture, and that's really neat. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't read those Thrawn books yet. I've, I, I've read a lot of the new canon, but I, I haven't read any of those yet, so I'm really excited to hear about that stuff too. Um, I'm not the biggest Thrawn fan, but there's some really cool um, lore that comes up in those books. Um, so last character I really wanted to talk about, and there's a lot of huge characters in this book. The last character I think is one of the central characters outside of the Jedi we mentioned and Markian Rowe, and that's Chancellor So. So Lena So or Sao, however you want to pronounce it, she is not in this book a lot, but I think that she's going to be a ma another major character that we're going to follow. She seems to be coming from a, a place of um, wanting to help the galaxy, talking about making the galaxy great. I'll just leave that out there right there. Um, and making the galaxy great again. And Star Wars has always been a political franchise that has not so subtly commented on whatever the politics of the time are. And my interpretation of this character was right in line with um, some of the current political um, some of the current things going on in politics in America. Um, so I think that there is, is a lot more that we're going to learn about her and, um, I don't necessarily trust her. That's interesting. I, uh, I, 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 I see where you're getting at. And I would say that I sort of perceived it 
oppositely. Um, I sort of perceived her as someone because a lot of what she's wanting to do. What what is the Starlight Beacon for? Right. It, it the the goals are to increase the ability of the outer rim and the inner and the inner the core planets communication. That's one of the big goals, so they can communicate more freely. She's putting Jedi out there so they can help the outer rim more when they're in need. There's a Jedi training post out there. So it's a lot of what I would think of as sort of, uh, you know, uh, social issues that she's concerned with taking care of. She also seems for, for me to be a pretty, I mean, and I'm maybe I'm a little, I'm a very trusting person. So may, maybe I'm a little bit too trusting. Maybe I'll be proved wrong. But she seems to me to be someone that uh, is most concerned with the well-being of people and is not going to take any flack from, you know, it's not going to let the the sort of, the way government can get in its own way, slow down caring for people, right? Like if I have to shut down these lands of hyperspace where trade is taking place in order to make sure that no one else gets hit by one of these emergencies, I'm going to do it because people's lives are the most at stake, right? So to me, I, I could see that almost like in, in the light. And again, you know, we're interpreting this through our, our own lens. We, we very well may be proved wrong. It may have absolutely no, you know, uh, maybe the people who wrote it or seeing things differently than us, but uh, you know, it's kind of like, like the uh, the COVID shutdowns. Like it's worth shutting things down to save lives. Um, is kind of how I viewed her interpretation. And then other people that are like, no, we need to keep profits going so that people can sustain those lives with their incomes. Uh, was the senator? Um, that was a, a a conflict that happens throughout the story. Yeah, and that's a great interpretation too. And maybe I'm just jaded because. We've never seen a a government in Star Wars that functions well, even the New Republic. Uh, if you read a lot of the, the canon material and then watch the sequel trilogy, really didn't function well and kind of fell apart at some point. Um, and we've never seen a really trustworthy chancellor or, or higher authority figure. Even Mon Mothma, you know, who we all love, has some has some really deep flaws. So. I think it's it's really interesting that both you and I had different interpretations of this character, but I think we can both agree that she is going to be one of the more interesting characters as the High Republic grows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anybody else? I know we only talked about certain characters. Anybody else that you thought was was worth a discussion or that stood out to you from a character standpoint? Other than Porter Engel, who I'm super excited to learn more about, who has a nickname, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like the Blade of something or other, because yeah, it's cool. <laughs> just like this legendary fighter. Um, I, I think we hit the, the highlights. I do I do want to, and I don't know if you want to go to this next, but I do want to highlight a couple other connections that were really interesting to me to the greater Star Wars universe. Sure. Uh, do you <laughs> go ahead. care if we jump into this? So you're going to have to help me with some of the terminology, and I don't know if I, uh, let me open up my notes and make sure I didn't write it down in this. And, uh, oh, yep, right off the bat, the Navulators. So we have the the the, the um, Santecas, right? The the that run hyperspace. Like they they basically they they share with the government to help them try and figure out how to stop these emergencies. And they're the ones hiding the secret about the the older relative. And they offer these Navulators. Um, and when when they describe these Navulators, these are people who have essentially bald heads and a computer wrapped around their head uh, that are able to compute information much faster than a normal person. And I was like, 
it's Lobot. <laughs> yep. We yep. got Lobot. And uh, it was funny because Charles Soule talked about um, uh, on, on they did an interview with him on Star Wars Explained, and they asked him, is there any like B or C level character that you're just a huge fan of that nobody else cares about? And he goes, well, I think it's pretty obvious that I'm a big fan of Lobot. <laughs> I was like, yes, I caught it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, a couple other connections that stood out, and I'll, I'll just throw these out there and talk about them as much as you want, and then you can throw out whatever you've got. So we do have this big sort of battle at the end where other people come to try and help stop uh, the, uh, the, some of the, uh, the, the Nile. And uh, one of the planets that basically gets screwed over by the Nile earlier in the book is Ariadu. And I was, I, I was like, man, that sounds familiar. What is that? You know what it is? Uh, it does sound familiar, but now I don't remember. I had to look it up because it's been a while since I read the book, but it's Tarkin's homeworld. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So the, their demeanor and the description of their ships as being like these very sharp dagger-like ships. And they're basically like, if you... And the guy was like, I'm not going to do what you said. And finally gives in to one of the three leaders of the Nile and then gets screwed over. And he's like, you're going to regret that. Like, I'm coming for you. And they do. And I was like, okay, that definitely sounds like the planet that Tarkin grew up on, this very Roman gladiator almost type upbringing. Um, shout out, by the way, for that Tarkin book. If you guys haven't read that or if, if you want to read it, do it. That book is phenomenal. Absolutely. So last two things, and I, I had more notes. I, you know, Maybe I'll bring them up another time because chances are we'll come back to the book. But... Um, the ship names are so interesting if you look them up. One of them was called Ataraxia, which is a state of serene calmness. Um, there's another ship that was named that was something. Jedi, when I looked up that was the Jedi ship, right? Yeah. Yes. There was another ship that was named something. When I looked up the definition of what that meant, it had to do, and it was a medical ship, and it had to do with healing. So the names of the ships have meaning. Uh, so we definitely want to look at that. And the last note I have here is the one that you messaged me about, like, did you catch? So I'll let you throw that one out. Uh, yeah, and this is, you know, just a, a fun little insider joke here. But the architect or the designer of Starlight Beacon is named Polly Hidala. Uh, Hidala? Yeah, I think it was Polly Hidala, which is an obvious nod to the great Pablo Hidalgo, who is kind of the keeper of canon and one of the, the people on the Star Wars story group. So love when they do stuff like that. Um, George Lucas, I think, was in, had a character named Gord Salkol or something like that. So... Really fun little name there, Polly Hadali. Um, we we also get a reference to Yoda. We know Yoda's gonna be around in the High Republic. We don't know what his role is. We don't know if he's the the head of the council. He is referred to as Master Yoda and kind of in a mythic status. Um, he's around. He is in one scene in the book at Starlight Beacon. He's there at the end, um, but uh, he's around. And then the other character they referenced that. Um, I knew sounded familiar, so I looked it up, and it turned out to be one of my favorite Jedi. Is Yariel Poof? Does that name sound familiar? Yariel Poof. I, I I've heard the name several times recently, but you're gonna have to help me place it. He's the Q-tip looking guy who's on the Jedi Council in Phantom Menace. The guy who looks like a Q-tip. Oh yeah, <laughs> great description. <laughs> so he's still he's still hanging around. Yariel Poof is uh, on the Jedi Council 200 years before Phantom Menace. So uh, I thought that was fun. 
Um, obviously, the Santeca's there. And there's there's probably a bunch more Easter eggs that I, I didn't take notes on or that we may not have even caught. Um, and I, I love that in, in this story. One other thing I want to talk about, you, we mentioned very, very early on about Avar and how she she listens, she hears the Force's music. Music does play another part in this in this book. Um, one of the the Nile Kasav um, blasts what they call wreck punk through his ship at all times, and this was something cool, something we've never really heard about in Star Wars. Um, wreck punk. It's music made from um, the instruments that are that were like forged from destroyed ships. So kind of like junkyard punk. Um, I absolutely loved that concept. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, so I want to say it's it's kind of funny to me because all the music that is in Star Wars over the years, and, you know, we have our sort of own perception of music as Earthlings, I suppose, but I'm just like, the, the way they describe direct punk as a huge fan of punk rock music, I was like, oh, this sounds like the worst like old school punk, like, like, like a bunch of, like a bunch of guys with instruments they got at like a, a you know, out, out of the trash playing uh, punk rock to like a bunch of, uh, you know, in, in a bar full of like half wasted people and just like it, not the kind of music that you would show your mother. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I've been in, I've been in bands my whole life and I played at a lot of weird venues and with a lot of weird bands. I think I played with some rec punk bands before and not really my, my cup of tea. Um, but, and then the, the last kind of uh, companion piece to the light of the Jedi is the great Jedi rescue. Um, wasn't sure what this was going to be before it came out and was really happy to get it uh, because I read it to my daughter who's five months old. So I don't think it resonated with her, but I'm going to read it to her a lot in the future and it basically is the first third of the light of the Jedi. So it takes the uh, the great disaster and then the um, you know the, kind of the Jedi banding together to save the Hetzel system uh, and puts it into a a children's book. But it still kind of has some dark themes because you know the characters that die still die in that book. But I thought it was a, a fun little book. Um, came with stickers, helped me kind of put some faces to the names that we're seeing in the book. And uh, I enjoyed it. And, it, it, you know, I think it's like five bucks. It's worth picking up if, you, if you've read Light of the Jedi or you're interested in High Republic. Yeah. And just to, two quick things that I really love about it. One is I love, you know, one of the reasons I love graphic novels is we get a visual representation of the characters. So that's one of the great things about this children's book is some of the characters we might not have seen on the cover of the book, we get a visual representation of them. Um, also, I just want to know, and I, I, I told you this, Gary, through a message, but um, Kevin Scott, who wrote this book, he talk, talked about how when he was a kid, he had a Star Wars book that was like this, it, like this format, I think probably this size, you know, with pictures and stuff. And he posted a picture on his Twitter or Instagram of this book next to it. And so he was so excited to write this book to bring back this format that had meant something to him as a child. And I think that's one of the beautiful things, too, about what's going on with Disney and, and Lucas and all that kind of stuff right now is they're able to sort of resurrect some of the things that we had in our childhood and maybe have come to miss uh, for a next generation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the the Star Wars like 
kids books and the little golden books that they've been putting out. I read those to my daughter. We just got yesterday, Obi-Wan two, three, someone gave this, that to us as a gift. So I've been reading that to her. Um, but that is going to wrap us up for light of the Jedi. We'll give our final thoughts. Look, I know we we've gone 90 minutes so far. We could probably go another 90 and then another 90 and another 90. There's a lot to discuss in this book. And, um, we have, you know, a lot, a lot of time to discuss some of the themes that are introduced here. And we'll, we'll definitely do that in the future, but wanted to give kind of a high level overview of Light of the Jedi. Um, I'll kick us off, then I'll throw it to you, Brian. My thoughts on this book are, um, I couldn't put it down. Uh, it took me a little bit to read this. I had a lot going on in my personal life with a newborn and, and work and whatnot. So I wasn't able to read it as quickly as I wanted to, because I wanted to read this in one sitting. Uh, I absolutely adore this book. This is up there as one of the best Star Wars books I've ever read. Um, it's probably in my top three. Uh, I, I really liked it. I could see myself rereading it in the future and I don't reread books very often because I, I just like to read new stories, but I can see myself rereading this. Um, Charles Soule did a great job of making the story feel fresh, new and exciting, um, but also kind of familiar. It's a universe we've lived in and we know, but if you don't know anything about Star Wars, you could pick up this book and enjoy it. You can read Light of the Jedi as a kicking off point to your Star Wars journey or as a kicking off point to getting more in-depth with Star Wars if you just know the TV shows and movies, um, which is a testament to how good this book actually is. Um, the characters are well-developed for new characters that we don't know anything about. Um, you get invested in them and you want to know what happens next. And I could not be happier with how we started off the High Republic than with Light of the Jedi. And I give this the fullest recommend possible. Yeah, I think I think for me too. Uh, um, so I haven't read as much Star Wars as you have, as many Star Wars books as you have. Um, but I, I I think that we've agreed that there are some, some phenomenal writers out there. You know, Claudia Gray has definitely been a standout. I love E.K. Johnson's books. I love um, just you know the, the Justine Ireland's mainly written younger ones. Love the comics. Um, this has me so excited about the future of Star Wars in general, not just the High Republic, because um, I, I feel like what's happening with this is going to impact not just the story, but just the way Star Wars stories are done going forward. You know, what happens when the High Republic's over? Well, considering how successful it's been and what a beautiful era it's creating, you know, uh, what's to say they won't choose another era? And that era may be, you know, I, I don't know that we'll do the, the, the Old Republic, but, you know, it might be, uh, what are we going to do after Rey, you know, and literature because I don't think they're going to do more movies around Ray, but we might like to read those or they might create a whole nother era um, again. So I'm, I, it just makes me excited. It, it shows the level of creativity. It shows um, the the thoughtfulness that's going behind it, the way that they're uh, just a lot. They're diving into things that have not been dived into as far as uh, or dove in. What is the past tense of dive? I have to look that up. Um, but they're, they're diving into things that haven't really been uh, looked at the way that they're being looked at right now. And I'm super excited. As someone who's a huge fan of the Jedi, I'm super excited to understand the Force more, which they seem to be doing. I'm super excited to look at more training of Jedis, uh, which we haven't had as much in the new canon as they did in Legends. Um, and I'm super excited about this. Era, you know, an era that's really marked by hope and expectation for what can come and, and what that, what that, as opposed to when we see it later, we have this, 
you know, when we get to the original books, it's already the empire has taken over and it's kind of a dark time and there's not a lot of hope. And the only hope is the Skywalkers. We're in an era where there's lots of hope and it's got to eventually get to an era where it's not as much. So um, how do we get there? And as far as my personal rating of the book, 12 out of eight stars. <laughs> it's, it's, up, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just for us, uh, our, our next show will drop in two weeks. We'll be covering the first Marvel comic and the first IDW comic will be out by then. The High Republic Adventures, which is exciting. We'll also be back next month talking about the uh, Justina Ireland book, A Test of Courage. And then we have a full slate uh, coming in the next few months, obviously, as the High Republic continues to grow. And we just get more and more media around the High Republic. We're going to be doing a lot of reading, Brian, uh, over the next six months. So I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, go out and get Light of the Jedi if you don't have it yet. Really recommend it. Charles Soule did a terrific job and um, deserves all of the accolades he's getting. Um, you can find us on social media at High Republic. I'm sorry, High Republic. Starlight Beacon Pod. Uh, on Instagram, Starlight Beacon Podcast on Facebook. Uh, give us a like. Let us know what you think of the show, any feedback, what you thought about Light of the Jedi. And um, I was looking for a sign-off, right? I think the first episode we signed off with May the Force Be With You. But now this book gave me a sign-off. Um, so now I know officially what we can sign off with. And that is, uh, until next time, we are all the Republic. <laughs>